Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you joining us online, good morning to you too. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the gospel according to Mark chapter 13. And we will attempt verses 14 through 23. There is a chance I won't get past verse 14. There's just enough information there. Would you stand please for the reading of God's word? Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 14 through 23. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes, but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved." But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, here, he is there, do not believe it. For Christ, for false Christ, and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. Please be seated. That third temple, that is the title of this morning's message. It has very much to do with us right now, as does all prophecy. Jesus said not a jot or tittle would pass away from God's word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. And this is the word of God. And it is about the future. The last days of human government will be characterized by increasingly strange, unprecedented, and global, dark things. These will be spectacular things. It will phase into larger and larger troubles. It will expand. Technology will dominate everything and has a very large role in the end times. Without modern technology, last day, Last day's prophecies would not be literal. It would be allegory. Uh, But now, with technology, looking at the revelation of Jesus Christ and all the events that are taking place there, so much of it makes so much more sense than ever before. Granted, modern technology offers us benefits that we enjoy, but will ultimately serve to destroy uh, mankind as we know it. Before the rapture of the church, the removal of the church just before this period of time in history, the seven-year period of time in history, where Satan will be given more authority than he's ever had, and he will raise up for himself the Antichrist and his false prophet and a world that will line up behind them. But the church will be taken out of the way. There will be no need for the church, number one, because the church will be outlawed. 
and the tribulation converts will suffer persecution, most of them. But before uh, the church is raptured, well, after, there's a checklist that has to, of things that have to take place before the coming of the Lord. And I'll go back as far as uh, the resurrection. Uh, before these end-time events could take place, Christ had to fulfill God's plan of salvation. We Christians, we get that. We love that. Peter, the apostle, had to be martyred before the rapture of the church and the end-time scenario began to unfold. In fact, Peter was uh, murdered before the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John, the apostle. Paul had to preach to Caesar. Paul also was dead at the hands of Rome uh, before the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John on the Isle of Patmos. Israel has to be in her promised land. Well, that one's significant because when the prophecies were given, they were in the promised land, but then they were booted out of the promised land, which if you were a Bible student in those days of prophecy, you would have been scratching your head wondering when and how God's going to get his people back into that land, but you would have known that they were going to go back into that land. We happen to live at a time where we see them there. In fact, some of you were alive when Israel became a nation again. Well, one, some other things that have to be checked off the list, aside from those, is the modern technology, as I mentioned. But Lining up with this 14th verse that we just read from Mark chapter 13, the third Jewish temple has to be built. It does not exist right now. And uh, that's it. That temple is, is central to the timeline that God has established. Then comes this unprecedented global tribulation uh, leading up to the seven years, last seven years of human rule. Now, in verse 13 of Mark 13, Jesus said, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, he said that in answer to their question. So let's go back a little bit. Jesus is at the temple. He's teaching. He's, he's, he's putting down the challengers that have come against him. He's leaving the temple. And his disciples say to him, Master, what do you think of this temple ground? I mean, look at the stones in the temple and all around the buildings. And what do you think? And he says, I'm telling you, not one stone will remain upon another. And that has come to pass. So thorough was Rome's destruction of that temple. That was the second Jewish temple. I'll get back to those things. So thorough that to this day, um, I'm believing more and more that archaeologists and historians don't have a clue where that temple was. And the place that they think it was is not. And that, and at this point, you can gasp. <gasps> okay. He says the Christians will be hated. And that is true. And uh, the entire Jewish race is going to be hated yet again by a world power by one madman and all those behind him. Now, some don't share these views about the church being raptured and, and spared the great tribulation period. Well, that's their view, and I'm not here to share their view. I'm here to share my view, as I believe I have it. I will say they're wrong, but they're still loved and saved. They're just not as right as we are. But 
Well, they can change sides. So Christ answering their questions. Now, the Bible gives us some warnings about prophecy. First John, he tells us, test the spirits to see if these things are from God or not. Uh, and Paul writes to the Thessalonians, an, a young church whom he invested quite a bit of end time information uh, with, he shared. So I'm pause here a moment. If you don't have a lot of knowledge about the end times, uh, don't be intimidated by that. There's a lot of information in Scripture. And if you want to get more familiar with it, you're going to have to go into the Old Testament books, Isaiah, uh, particularly Daniel and Ezekiel, uh, Joel and Zechariah. Uh, those are the main ones. Others have information too, but those are the, the key books of the Old Testament. And in the New, of course, you have the Olivet Discourses of Christ in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you have... Uh, Thessalonians and Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and uh, the Revelation. Uh, those are the key books. I hope I'm not leaving out one. Uh, if I am, don't bother let me know. I'll suffer <laughs> the mistake myself. But anyway, uh, to Thessalon the Th Thessalonians, Paul said, do not despise prophecies. And then he said in the next verse, test all things. And so we are into this. We want to know what's going to happen and what's going on. And, and God wants us to, and that's why we have the prophetic word and why it is uh, fitting together so remarkably. In fact, in preparation, the problem is there's so much information that fits. How do you distill it? How do you take it in and share it with people so you don't lose their attention? How do you go back and say, oh, but I'm talking about this? Well, we'll find out how we do it, and hopefully we do it in a good way. Looking now at verse 14. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This abomination of desolation is an event that is going to take place in the Jewish temple. It hasn't happened yet. It has happened, but that was a distant fulfillment. I'll get to that in a moment. But it will be a blatant defilement, and it will be an, an act of war in the mind of the Jew and in the mind of the one who, who perpetrates it, which is the Antichrist, that single character, that individual that is likely alive and well and an adult at this time somewhere in the world, but his identity is not yet revealed. Uh, it could be he is not yet here, but uh, I believe he is because I don't think mankind can sustain the technology that is available for multiple reasons. Again, we'll have to weave those into the consideration. But this will, this act begins... The wrath of the end time period. So the end time period is, is a seven-year period, according to Daniel, that, that 70th week of Daniel. And uh, the first three and a half years are going to be relatively peaceful for the Jew. But there will be troubles for other peoples. In fact, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself because then I get lost when I come to and I can't say that again. Then my mind is going there. So I'm going to uh, wait on that. But this is the day of the Lord, as the prophet Joel spoke about. And it is a day of trouble and it is a day of darkness for mankind. 
by the time this particular prophecy comes into fulfillment that Jesus is speaking about here in verse 14, again, the church, true believers, will be gone. But the apostate church will be here and it will be thriving. That is the church that doesn't believe in the Bible, that doesn't think Jesus is all that he says he is. But still, they insist on calling themselves Christians in the church. It will become a traditional thing for them, but they have no identification with the God of creation and the Christ of the resurrection whatsoever. And so they are left behind and in an irretrievable state, I fear. There has already been that one episode of this abomination in the temple already. So let's go to the temple a moment. First, there's Solomon's temple. And that was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. Then uh, the second temple was built under the leadership of a Jewish leader named Zerubbabel. But the Romans destroyed that temple much later uh, through their general Titus. And it has not been rebuilt. There is now no Jewish temple, but there has to be for this verse to be fulfilled, and we'll come to that. During that second temple, there was an abomination of desolation committed, and it was a partial fulfillment of what Daniel said, which is typical in the Old Testament. The prophecies are are half fulfilled, but the greater and final fulfillment remains to take place. And uh, this is the case with with the temple. This man, Antiochus Epiphanes, he was a king in Syria about 168 years or so before Christ was born. And he invaded Jerusalem. He made an altar and shrine to Zeus. And there in the Jewish temple, he did this and he sacrificed a pig and other unclean animals that are unclean religiously to ceremonially to the Jews. The Maccabees has some of this in it in 1 Maccabees, which is not, we do not consider it scripture, but it is good historical uh, reading. And if you have time to read First and Second Maccabees, I think you would benefit from it if you have gotten your scriptural work done first. It's like kids, you can have your dessert, but you've got to eat your dinner. Well, the Caesars, of course, when they came along, they were in habit of putting their gods in the place of other people's gods. And and eventually they put their own images alongside of their gods. They wanted to be recognized as divine. But Antichrist, when he defiles the third temple, he is going to put his image there and nobody else's. Uh, And there's a lot more that's going to happen with this. When he puts his image there, he will endow that image through his false prophet with life. How's that going to happen? Is it going to be genuine life? What is is going on? His sidekick, again, that false prophet of his, will give that image of Antichrist power to kill and to demand everyone to receive his mark, which we know the code 666. Now, don't be afraid of that, that number. It's nothing nothing for us to be afraid of. It's something to identify and understand. Um, Don't get into superstition. For us, the number 666 comes right before the number 667. 
And, and pretty much that's it, unless it's in the context of end time studies. We, we won't be here again to to see this all acted out. But it will be considered a badge of allegiance to Antichrist. You will have to get this mark or you will be considered a traitor and a blasphemer to him. And those who refuse will be exterminated. Revelation thirteen fifteen. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This is transhumanism, and it's already at work. There are scientists who are now becoming quickly, not all of them, but many of them, shaman and Frankensteins. They're going into areas of that, that they need to stay out of, but they're not going to. Transhumanism essentially is the merger of robot and human. Using DNA and other parts of the human composition. It is utopia through technology. This blend. And they're starting to do it. They're working on it. It is, uh, you know, this artificial intelligence. To what, where does it stop? There's a factor in the spiritual features of this. When John says he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, he is not joking. It is going to be literal. It's an intricate merging of the human to robot that is saying we don't need God. And we will make this a better place for ourselves. And anybody that gets in the way, this is so serious to us. We are so, we're, we're willing to have collateral damage. We're willing to kill people who will get in the way because the end will justify the means. This is how humanism rolls anyway. The Lord says, spoken by Daniel the prophet. Jesus took the prophecies of Daniel, Daniel literally. You got those pseudo-scholars. Well, they're scholars. They're just not good scholars that, oh, Daniel could not have written the things he wrote. He had to write after the events because there's too many details. He could not. Pop. Well, that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is the, the impossible made possible because of God. It is God telling the future. Predictive process, prophecy is that. And when God says you will be judged, if you have not the blood of the lamb, that's predictive prophecy, too, with a guarantee. Spoken of by Daniel, Daniel 9, 27. This is what Jesus is quoting. And so here's Christ. They ask him a question. And just like he took down his challengers, he's lifting up his believers using Scripture. Look, Scripture is so important. It's so easy for a, a pastor to decide, let's make the church an entertainment center for people or let's make it the place of God's word and try to filter out anything that takes away from God's word. And this is what Christ did. Here comes the word. Daniel 9, chapter 27, uh, chapter 9, verse 27. Daniel speaking, God through him. Then he shall confirm a covenant. The he there is the Antichrist. And he confirms a covenant because he needs it. He has a need. And he's using the Jewish people to get it. He wants their money. He wants their support. And when he comes to power, he'll break the deal. That, that's bottom line. And he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, now that week is a seven-year period. Don't have time to go into how we know all this. You can study. <laughs> Nehemiah is another book that uh, uh, is... Uh, anyway, 
but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. And so there's your time stamp. This is going to be to the consummation. This abomination that is created uh, in God's house by this, this monster. He's called a beast by God, which is to say he's a monster. Uh, he's just uh, destructive and harmful in every sense of the word. So the near fulfillment of that Daniel 9.27, the Syrian king, Antiochus Epiphanes. But the final will be through this coming beast, Daniel 11, verse 31. And this is centered on Antiochus too. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Again, the near fulfillment, Antiochus Epiphanes, the far is Antichrist. But something interesting in that Daniel 11.31 is he refers to the sanctuary as a fortress. When Titus came to take the temple down, when that, that first Jewish revolt, and it was a big revolt. It went on almost five months. Those Jews were fierce. They turned the entire, they took over the Antonio Fortress of the Roman 10th Legion, and which was right next to the temple, and they fought to the death, and it was brutal. Uh, it, they turned the temple into a fortress, just interesting enough. But uh, half of Daniel's uh, seven years, his week, three and a half years, will, as I mentioned, be relatively peaceful because of that covenant that Antichrist makes. Then he breaks that covenant, and then he, comes full, he goes full genocide uh, at, towards that end uh, after that. So, Antichrist will claim to be God in this third Jewish temple during the Great Tribulation period. Jesus could not have been referring to the second temple where they had just asked him about the stones. That second, that's the second temple. Oh, Lord, do you see this magnificent structure, this temple? What do you think? That's Zerubbabel's temple. Solomon's having been destroyed and then built by, rebuilt by Zerubbabel. This is the temple that Jesus is making this statement about. And when Rome destroys it, that's only a partial Second Thessalonians chapter 2. The temple's still standing when Paul writes this. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. That is a great apostasy. and That's the church that that falling away is coming to. And the man of sin is revealed. That's Antichrist, the son of hell, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, because he's going to want to worship, because he is Satan's. He is what Jesus Christ is to the Father. Antichrist is to Satan. His, his you know, special uh, creation. And I'm saying that, of course, in a negative and sarcastic way about what's coming. He continues, Paul does, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He'll tolerate no other. He's going to believe this nonsense, too. You see, Satan wanted to be counted equal with God. 
That's where it all went south. And that is going to be uh, like father, like son. You are like your father, the devil, uh, in full bloom. With the return of the Jews to occupy and rule the promised land today, these things are in motion. When Christ said it, he presupposed the destruction of this. He couldn't tell. Uh, he told us. He said, this temple's going away. Paul comes along and says, with the knowledge it's going away, but there's going to still be a temple for him to come and defile, just like the Lord said. And from 70 A.D. to 1948, Israel had no promised land and still no temple. Now they're in the land since 1948 and still no temple. Uh, they were driven from the land 65 years after that second temple was destroyed by the Romans. And for 1,900 years, no land, which is unprecedented. You won't meet an Edomite or a Philistine or a Jebusite who, go, who says, I'm a Jebusite, but we have no land. <laughs> the only people in history that have been displaced from their land and brought back in, retaining their religion, their language, and their identity is the Jew, Israel. And nobody as a people has suffered by them because they are Satan's primary and precious target. Well, Jesus says, standing where it ought not be. Matthew indicates the location as the holy place. In Matthew's account, parallel account, Matthew 24, therefore, when you see, Jesus speaking, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Why doesn't Mark say that? Well, Mark's writing to a different audience. He's writing more to Gentiles, whereas Matthew's writing to Jews. And it'd be very close to their heart to hear him say, this abomination is happening in our beloved holy place. The only other time this phrase is used is in Acts chapter 21, referring to the Jewish temple. So what I'm establishing here is that this phrase, this clause, standing where it ought not, is the Jewish temple, the holy place. And when he says standing, it is going to be an ongoing blasphemous act. Not just a one-time abomination of desolation. He's going to continue to do this because he hates the Jews that much. This temple will be rebuilt in the future, and the daily sacrificial system will be reinstated. And today, uh, today the Jews only worship really in synagogues and at the Western Wall. That's a summary of what's going on. The Jews have been preparing, though, for this third temple since 1967. Since that war, they took back Jerusalem and they gave the Temple Mount to the Muslims to have custody of, which they have to this day. And that is a big factor of so much I'm going to say. It doesn't look like we're going to get past verse 14, does it? That's just a prophetic word. But I, I hope I can make that worthwhile. Over 90 ritual items to be used in the temple worship and the sacrifice, the blood sacrifices, as well as the uh, incense offerings, etc., the grain offerings, they have been remade by a, a group called the Temple Institute there in Jerusalem. They have, since 19, 
uh, since 2008, they have put together the high priest uniform as well as the other priest and uh, the breastplate and the ephod, the, the altars, the lampstands. They are ready to go. They just have no building. But they have all the articles. But there are some essentials they've got to get in place before they do this. One is, or probably the key, is the Aaronic line. They've got to identify Jews who are from Aaron's line, descendants from Aaron, Moses' brother. They, and, and their records are lost. How are they going to do this? Well, there's enough grave sites in, in Israel, ancient grave sites, and they're still finding things, amazing things in Israel. And there's still so much untouched, and I'm going to get to some of that, that they'll find a grave that will say something like, you know, a high priest of descendants of Aaron, and they'll take and find enough DNA, and they'll be able to match. That's going to happen. That's why we get to 144,000. There's 12,000 from each tribe, and it's listed in the Revelation which tribes they're coming from because the technology will be there. So evil will be using technology, and so will righteousness. And that is just quite amazing. And we see this happening today. When DNA was, you know, codified and put together, and they, okay, we understand DNA. That was just as another step towards fulfillment of prophecy. And, and there's more. I may leave out some stuff, just not enough time. But they also have to have, as I mentioned, the articles to, to minister as priests and Levites. Because they plan to bring livestock there and slaughter them at, at the altar and offer them just as it was in the days of, of David and, and Moses. A red heifer. They have to find a red heifer. That's critical to the purification process. They won't be able to open the temple up till they purify the temple. Once it's built, okay, now let's purify it ceremonially. And they'll, they're working on that too. Uh, and this, this is probably even more important than the other two the precise location of the Holy of Holies. Where did the Ark of the Covenant sit? The Ark that was a chest that had the Word of God in it, the tablets that Moses received from God, the remade tab tablets, because Moses, he dropped the others. Okay, he threw them down in anger. There's no dropping. And anyway, God redid that. Uh, incidentally, when God gave him those tablets, they were on tablets that Moses was able to carry. Both of them, which is symbolic. God's word is something we can carry. We can carry it up a mountain if we are so ordered to, and we can bring it back down without throwing it. Uh, anyway, uh, Moses, I feel like, is my buddy in many ways because I just sympathize. You know, I've said this quite a few times. When God called him, he said, can you get somebody else? <laughs> I, I just love it. It's so human, of the whole story. Anyway, the, ex the precise location, where did that ark sit? Where was the Holy of Holies, where the high, only the high priest could go in at the Day of Atonement on behalf of the people. Well, I have found some things that I'm not ready to share, but I'm going to share them. That means I can share them. I just maybe don't know if I should, but I have to. They are going to change, possibly change, my study notes, 30 years of study notes. If you could stack that up, uh, you'd have a tower. Uh, everywhere the temple is mentioned in the Old and New Testament now is, hmm, I wonder if. There is the traditional location of the temple. Now, there are those archaeologists in Israel that 
consider this fringe thinking, but we've got the facts. And almost all the archaeologists are abject atheists, and they are not honest with each other. I mean, they, they look what they did with Jericho, you know. This Jericho's this, and find out whether well, it's actually that. I mean, they just they don't go thinking of the archaeologists as the way, the truth, and life, because they're not. But they're very helpful, very useful, and they've done some wonderful things for us. But the traditional location. So here's the temple that once stood Solomon's temple. Right now they think on what is now the Temple Mount, where the Dome of the Rock is. And uh, just to the west of that temple uh, uh, is a wall that is believed to be the only real leftover, it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a retention wall for the earth, for the structure, to keep it in. And it's believed to be what was uh, part of the, the second temple. Well, if you look at that wall, it's got different layers of stone on it from different ages of different people adding different things. You've got things from Herod's time, the Romans have put rock, the Muslims have put... I mean, you've got these layers there. But the Jews really believe this is uh, the closest structure to where the temple stood. And that's why it is so important to them. It's called a wailing wall. The Jews today aren't even interested in entertaining that it might not be there. New research has discovered that that entire Temple Mount was likely the Antonia Fortress and not the Temple. This, again, gasp time. Uh, so the Romans had the 10th Legion there to keep the Jews in line. How many troops would you need in Jerusalem to keep the Jews in line? A legion is about 6,000 men. We know from Josephus and other historians that that legion in Jerusalem was a city almost. It had granaries, bakeries, restaurants, brothels. It had to support the 6,000 plus troops and it took several thousand people to do it. So in a very conservative guess, the Antonia Fortress housed conservative 10,000 people. Well, if you go to the Jewish Museum, in, in the Israeli Museum in Jerusalem, they have a whole layout of Jerusalem to scale. The temple and the Antonio Fortress, the city of David, and the, 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 the city sprawled out. They have the Kidron Valley, uh, the Valley of Hinnom, the Terophian Valley. They've got it all. It's just wrong. Gasp again. We, it's okay to... Oh, no. Because this, what I'm saying, is borderline blasphemous to the Jew that goes to the Western Wall believing this was his temple. But I still have to back a lot of this up. And, and I intend to do that. So, this huge fortress, 36 acres. Now, we just were talking about this. Uh, in our Sunday study and in our midweek in, in Samuel, David just conquered Jerusalem, went up, and I discussed Mount Zion versus Mount Moriah. But my research is now leaning more and more towards Zion, the city of David, is where Mount Moriah is and not the traditional site 
of the Temple Mount. I don't know if I've lost you, but I'm all around Jerusalem myself right now. And you go to Jerusalem, you can't figure out where you are. I mean, it's such a complex city. And the archaeological digs are astounding. The construction, I'm from a background of heavy construction, and they have enormous construction beneath the city where all the ruins are. And they've got windows. You can walk up to some and look down. Okay, I'm digressing. Let's go back to... So the traditional site of where the temple is may have actually been all the Roman fortress. The Dome of the Rock is there. If you've ever seen a picture of the Dome of the Rock, you have to say, that's one ugly rock. I mean, really, it's it's not just because it's the Muslims and I'm not attacking them with this statement. I am saying it's not a smooth, flat rock. Well, now we've got a problem. Because, you see, that's supposed to be the threshing floor of Aruna, who sold the Temple Mount where Mount Moriah is, where Abraham was told to offer Isaac, where Melchizedek met Abraham. Not at the same time. Uh, Of those events. If that's a threshing floor... It's impossible. It's too lumpy. Too many holes and craters in it. Nobody could thrash wheat on that rock. It is not possible. Now we're getting into a process of elimination. So then what is that rock? The Praetorium of Pilate is a very good candidate for this. Where where the Romans inside the fortress of Antonia judged criminals standing on that rock. John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement. The Greek word? The stone. It's a 65-foot diameter. But in Hebrew, gabatha. What is that? The knoll. What is a knoll? A knoll is that rock. It is, that's what the, the Jews called it. That thing's a knoll. It's just stone. It's, just, it's sticking up. It is an exact representation of what is going on there. Therefore, if this assumption is right, That the traditional ground for the temple, and this is important. Why is this important? Because if the temple is going to get built, how are you going to get the Muslims out of the way if you're going to build it where Solomon had his his temple? See, this is a big thing. There's some space up there to say, well, it could be over this way a little bit, and the Antichrist is going to negotiate that. Yeah, that's possible, but not likely, because Revelation 11.2 says, leave the outer court for the Gentiles in the building of the temple. But back to this. So... Eliminating that as the rock or or establishing that at the Dome of the Rock, the Muslims are wrong and at the Western Wall, the Jews are wrong. So the Jews are facing the Western Wall, which is towards the, the Dome of the Rock, a little adjacent, but in that direction. They're facing the wrong way from where the temple was. And, not only that, they're facing the direction of that spot where Christ was judged by the world and rejected on behalf of sinners. The the Muslims are maintaining that spot 
That's where they worship. That's their mosque. Non-Muslims are not allowed in there. And so they've built this structure around this bumpy rock that is the place where the creator of life, where the savior of the world, stood before man and was judged and sentenced to crucifixion. Both of them have the wrong direction. One has the wrong rock and the other has the wrong wall. Then where's the second temple? Where can it go? Well, as I mentioned, there is some space. And years ago, there were these uh, Christian archaeologists sneaking up to the Temple Mount with probes, looking for cavities beneath the surface to say, well, the, the ark was on an arcway, and if we could find that arcway, that's probably where the temple originally stood. Uh, but that doesn't really uh, work too well. And, uh, because, again, the, you go to the Temple Mount, you, you, can, you can't do anything up there. It's so locked down by the Muslims. You can't pray up there. If you're caught praying, you'll be arrested. Uh, if you look like you're praying, you're going to get into trouble. You can't have any Bible studies there. It's not a friendly place. Anyway, the second temple, I believe those who have promoting this, and this is a very small group now, and then, you know, to be accepted is almost impossible. But anyway, just to the south of what is now the Temple Mount, the traditional location of the temple, but really was the Antonia Fortress, is the city of David. About 600 feet. Okay, that's the city of David. What's so significant about the temple being there? Well, the spring Gihon. The Gihon Spring... There's no water, natural water, coming into Jerusalem for five miles. Nowhere. And David, as we discussed, took the city by Joab, his commander, climbing up the well and getting into the city and letting and his men with him. And that's how they, they took over Jebus when it became Jerusalem. Water is everything. The Jews will say, hey, you can keep your oil. We got the water to the surrounding nations that, where they are. Water is key. And so the pilgrims would come to the temple. Hezekiah channeled from the Gihon Spring, which is a, a gusher uh, originally. I mean, it's just an unlimited source of water, fresh water, drinkable water. Things have changed since an earthquake in 1099. There's some, been some, some changes to this where the water does not, is not produced as it once was. But it still flows, and you can walk through that Hezekiah's tunnel. And when you come out, you're at the Pool of Siloam. And where the pilgrims cleanse themselves, purification for the temple. Not to walk way up to where the Antonia Fortress is, the traditional site, but a short distance to the hill of, the, of in Zion, the Ophel, where the temple sat. And this is remarkable news. It doesn't affect any of our doctrine. It, it does enhance our understanding. For example, maps. I heard a pastor years ago saying, I believe the Bible from Genesis to maps. Well, I don't. Maps are problems. They're not always accurate. They're, they're, in fact, some of the maps have two sites for where Christ was crucified. The traditional Roman Catholic site and then Gordon's site. And I believe Gordon's site is, is it. Anyway, so what I hope I have been saying to you is that Mount Zion, where there is no Islamic influence is where the, sec the third temple can be built, and very quickly. You don't have to go through the Muslims. You don't have to go through the United Nations. 
the Jews can start building this today. In fact, they probably already have a a, a site plan ready to go. It doesn't have to be huge. It has to be sufficient. Very exciting when Jesus says, now, Matthew and Mark add this note, one copying the other. Let the reader understand. That's not the Lord saying that. As he says, this abomination is coming. Let the reader understand. Understand what? What is Matthew and Mark saying we need to understand? Daniel's prophecy that the Lord has highlighted for us. There will be a third temple. And it will be defiled. And that will signal the three and a half years of the wrath of the great tribulation that will be poured out in Israel. I still have a few more things to say prophetically. Then We're not going to get to chapter, verse 15. It is an existential impossibility. Anyway, you may say, no, I still like the traditional one. Well, you're going to line up with those people who don't believe in the rapture of the church and all those other wrong ideas, and that's fine. I'm being humorous or attempting to be, and you were supposed to chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. Uh, chuckles and gas. What did you do in church today? We had a few gas. Oh, no, and a few chuckles. Anyway, uh, there was no scripture, New Testament scripture, at the time Jesus said these words. Not for another two and a half, two, three decades. Certainly the Gospels were not around. So when the, we read, let the reader understand, there was nothing to read when Jesus spoke this. So it's a reference to Uh, When they published this, when they put this account together, the apostles inserted, don't you miss this point. We were there. We saw it. We heard. We saw him speak it. Uh, Mark, not. But Peter, yes. Matthew was there. And uh, this indicates that Jesus is not issuing a warning to those listening, but those who will listen in the future, the end time readers. And the earth is saturated with printed and digital Bibles. There will be a lot of reading material for them to understand uh, in the tribulation uh, period. I won't get to this morning why I believe um, that if you've heard the gospel after the rapture, you don't have a second shot. If I'm wrong, good. If I'm right, then it needs to be said. I know it's a very emotional thing. We want to believe that. Well, we don't have the luxury of emotional theology. We have to go by what is written. And Paul says, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that's it. And so I think it's a safer way to approach it. And if knowing the mercy and goodness of God, you know, that's in his hands. We're good with that. So don't be too upset because you want it to be like in the movie, Uh, What was that movie, Uh, Left Behind? And then all these people, oh, now I get it. It doesn't seem to be biblical, but it would be nice nonetheless. Um, Please, no hate mail over that, uh, because then it makes me feel nice. You know I love them. Uh, Anyway, where are we? Uh, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jews mainly. Revelation 12, verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1260 days, three and a half years. This on the heels of the church uh, being born from this woman 
and the Antichrist looking to destroy her. He tried to destroy the child. He failed. He's going to try to destroy the woman. This is Revelation 12, 6, when Jesus says, let those in Judea flee to the mountains here in verse 14. Uh, they will have time, some of them. Jesus is laying, has already laid down a big hint in advance, before the abomination of desolation, he has put this hint in there. You'll know it's coming by this. I'll get to that in a moment. There will be others that don't take that hint. And then at the last minute, when, the, when they announce it in, on the radio in Israel, the Antichrist has just committed the abomination. When they find that information, they are to leave instantly. They're not to go home. Uh, from work, they're not to go from their patio or their deck or their porch into the house. At that point, uh, roadblocks will be put in place. Antichrist troops will be monitoring exits and highways and airports uh, you, to get out of the city. You, you're going to need your smartphone to find a way out, probably towards Jordan. But here's the hint, and it's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. Jesus speaking about these things. Luke gives us this. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not, and let not those who are in the country enter her. What is Luke talking about? Jesus said, and Luke records, <clears throat> when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Wait a minute. Why is Jerusalem going to be surrounded by armies? Because Antichrist, I believe Ezekiel 38 is at the beginning, not Ezekiel 39. Ezekiel 38 is this fierce war between Antichrist and a uh, Russian-Islamic alliance. If you go by the, the text and the country's name there and the people's name there, that's the conclusion that I come to, and others do too. Uh, that's how he comes into such power. He has to fight for his power. And he uses the Jews. So those armies are there. He is going to leave them there. For three and a half years, he's got this, this window of peace. And early on in the, of that three and a half years, he comes into power. He rides in carrying a bow, which is carrying a weapon. Don't worry, he's got the arrows for it. When we say to somebody who's carrying a gun, we don't say, are there bullets with it? Of course there are. <laughs> he's a warrior. Uh, so we don't say, oh, he's got a bow. Does he have arrows? Of course he's got arrows if he's got a bow and he's a warrior. And he rides onto the scene as this great maker of peace on the white horse. And then what follows? Death, destruction, and mayhem. So he has his armies there for the safety of Israel. He's going to turn those armies on Israel. Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded, he said, wait a minute. But that's what, that's what happened with the destruction of the first temple. Not really. The Romans were in their fortress, Antonio Fortress, maintaining order. The Jews revolted. And then the troops were released. They were beaten out of Jerusalem. And then Titus had to regroup. His father, Vespasian, started it, but he went to Rome and became emperor. And then he has to send the, the 5th, the 12th, and the 15th, and the 10th legions with all their mercenaries to put down that first Jewish revolt. So Jerusalem was not surrounded by armies initially when the, when the second temple was destroyed. 
they became surrounded after the revolt started. But then it was too late. They couldn't get out of the city because the zealots wouldn't let them. And the Romans crucified as many Jews as escaped the city of Jerusalem during the siege of Jerusalem in that revolt. So this is eliminating all these uh, counter arguments and makes me right. And I like being right so much. I just can't stand it when I'm wrong. So the near fulfillment, 70 A.D., but the final one remains for that third temple. Well, that's all I've got to say about this. We will resume and color in much more as we move. I I warned you, we'd probably be in Matthew, Mark 13 a while. We'll color in a lot more that he has to say about these end time things. uh, And I hope it will be exciting. Let's pray. Our Father, your word lays it right out for us. We have the more sure word of prophecy. If I had these facts as an unbeliever, I would like to believe that I would repent, understanding that only a God such as you, the God of the Bible, could lay out such details. And this isn't even the half of it. This is just one section on what's coming concerning the Jewish temple. But there's so much more information about so many other things. If you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ, you have to ask yourself why. And if you have followed the lies, those who've lied to you or out of ignorance have said to you that the Bible is not trustworthy and it is not accurate. The prophecies of the Bible that have been fulfilled and are being fulfilled right in front of our eyes contradict those naysayers. And if I were an unbeliever knowing this, I would like to believe that I would repent of my sins and I would do whatever it is the God of this Bible would tell me to do to be right with him. And he has told us. We do not have to guess. If you would like to be right with God, you must come through his son. If you make this prayer, for example, and you mean it, God will receive you. He has made this promise to us. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments. I have not walked with you. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you because there's no one else to ask. No one else is good enough to die for me in my place and take my punishment for sin away from me. Only you. And I give you my life right here, right now. And from this day forward, ask that you would be not only the one who saves my soul from a sure judgment to come, but also the one who rules over my life right now. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they be serious about it. And may they not hesitate to share it. We commit these things into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.